0: Richard Sarants Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And if you want to get deeper into Strange Planet, I always suggest that you check out my premium subscribers program. And you can do that by clicking on the link in the episode notes or just go to strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm And uh, choose the program that's right for you. There are three monthly tiers or programs. Choose the one that's right for you. You get access to commercial free listening, bonus episodes. Uh, You get a free subscription to my newsletter, my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, and discounts on Strange Planet merchandise. Strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. But the link is right there. In the uh, episode description. Well, we're going to talk about nothing less than the secrets of the universe on this episode universal laws, past lives, ghost adventures, and more. And this is the fifth book from Susan Massino, author of uh, The Story of ACDC, Let There Be Rock. Uh, I spoke, uh, had a great pleasure of speaking with Susan on another podcast that I used to do. Some of you may be familiar with it. It was called The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. And we did a special episode on Bon Bon Scott, a late lead singer of ACDC. Uh, Incidentally, that book is now in 11 languages. And uh, also she's uh, the author of Family Tradition, Three Generations of Hank Williams. And uh, in her new book, the Secrets of the Universe. Susan explores her lifelong passion of the universe, how it works. Uh, also investigating synchronicity, one of my favorite topics. Positive manifestation, healing with light, numerology, past lives, and ghost adventures. And um, as I mentioned, Susan has been with me uh, before. She's uh, She's been a rock journalist for over 30 years. And uh, she's appeared in projects with well-known rock bands like Van Halen, ACDC. She's been interested in the paranormal since the age of five. And uh, a great pleasure to welcome back Susan Massino to the program. Hey, Susan, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh,
0: The uh, the ACDC book, I just want to pop over to that arena for a moment um acdc <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> a couple
0: of years ago they came out with a um, uh, a new album i think it was called power up and um are they gonna mm-hmm. tour again do you think
1: well you know they do have a date in california on october 7th but i have heard some rumors that there will be more dates after that it might not be till 2024 but that's not too far away
0: Right, right. And of course, um, yeah, they went back into the studio using some of uh, rhythm guitarist Malcolm uh, Young's kind of riffs and built that that album based around those. Do they you think they'll record again?
1: I hope they do. I know that they have plenty of material. That's for sure. Angus has talked about that in interviews, so I'm hoping that uh, they come out with another album. That'd be amazing.
0: So how, do, how does a rock journalist get um, into the paranormal? How did that happen for you?
1: Well, it really started as um, I was very young, around five years old, and my paternal grandmother was very matter of fact about life after death. She That's stuff she would talk about, but The turning point for me was one night when we would, she had a day bed in her bedroom where we would sleep when we'd stay over and she would tell us, tell us stories and, you know, say our prayers and we go to sleep. Well, one night she told me and my younger sister about how her mother, after she had passed away, appeared to her in her bedroom to say goodbye. And uh, when I heard that, it just, it, it didn't scare me. It completely fascinated me. I, at, at that age, even I thought, well, how is that possible? Can she do it again? Um, does that, is that good or bad? Does that mean she's not at rest? Uh, it just, uh, it started a lifelong fascination with what's, what's on the other side.
0: Right. And, uh, I'm told these things tend to run in the family. Um, mm-hmm. so do you have your grandmother's gift?
1: I do. Um, It's it's funny um, that she told me about the story of her mother appearing to her after her death when my uh, my dad told me that after his mother died, my grandmother, that she did the same thing, that she appeared to him in uh, in his home uh, to say goodbye. And then um, when my dad passed away in 2012, uh, I we weren't close to close to him at the time. You know, long story be- with the ex-wife so we didn't know that he was very ill and one night in a very vivid dream my dad showed up at my house and told me that he was leaving and that's how you know i called my sister and we called out for a wellness check i had to call the police for that and found out that he was he was dying and we got to see him he passed away 48 hours less than 48 hours after we saw him Wow. So if he wouldn't have come to me in my dream, we didn't even know he was that sick.
0: Was that the first time something like that had happened to you, Susan?
1: Not at all. No, (laughs) I have. I've had so many um, incredible dreams and prophetic dreams um, like 9-11, which most people, um, you know, not most people, but a lot of people had some kind of inexperience or um, a, a dream before 9-11 happened. And uh, I used to have a, a radio show on Sunday nights. And, um, you know, you know how it is. You get off your shift and you're still wired. It just takes a while to go to sleep. And uh, that night I went to sleep and I used to live in New York. So I'm familiar with New York City and in the dream. And it was so vivid again, you know, just like very lucid, very real life feel to it. And I was um, in lower Manhattan on a bright sunny day, blue skies, and this jet went right over the top of my head, like very low. And what's weird about it is I really tried to pick this apart. Uh, the, The plane that I saw, people were running for their lives. And I'm thinking, why are they running and why is he flying so low? And on the back of the plane that I saw, it had two blue circles. And that is the original logo of American Airlines. And I had that dream Sunday night and Tuesday morning, 9-11 happened. Wow.
0: What did yeah. you do with that information?
1: I didn't, uh, you know, I've told people the story before, but, um, you know, I, I didn't think in a million years that that would be real, that that would actually happen. So I didn't really tell anybody about it right away.
0: And, um, as a, as a rock journalist, um, is this something that you would share with, you know, musicians like Van Halen or Angus Malcolm and the lads with ACDC? Is this something that you would share with them? And if so, how did they react?
1: Um, I never really talked to them about that. I mean, um, Angus and I talked about uh, when Malcolm was in hospital and, you know, he wasn't doing well at all. And uh, I told him, um, I told or asked Angus to give um, Malcolm a hug and a kiss from me. And sadly, Angus said to me, you know, there's no communication. And I said, well, he'll so his soul will know. And Angus just his face actually lit up and he said, you're right. His soul will know. And, uh, you know, so we've talked a little bit about that and about, you know, Bond. Um, I haven't really given them details on this, but anytime that I see a a band member of ACDC in my dream, it will manifest in real life, even if it's several years away. And uh, I've had Bond um, before I wrote the Let There Be Rock book um, back. I started that in the end of 2004. I had a very vivid dream of Bond coming to my house and we sat down and it seemed like we talked all night. You know, it was uh, it was really nice, but very sad when I woke up that, you know, it wasn't real. And um, the the next day, my uh, I I write it late at night and usually with not a lot of lights on and and uh, we had this these big living room lamps. And uh, when I was questioning, you know, did I really see Bond? Did he you know, was he really here? And the, the, the next day, my uh, husband called me and he said, why did you leave that lamp on last night? And I, I asked him, you know, which one, and it was one of the large ones on either side of the couch. And I said, I I don't even use that light at night. So I never turned it on. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at it like that was Bond's way of saying, yeah, I was here. You know, don't, don't doubt it. I was here.
0: (laughs) Wow. Um, I'm trying to remember back to our conversation when we did the uh, the rock and roll twilight zone zone episode about Vaughn bon Scott. Mm-hmm. Seems to me that you were telling me that uh, Angus and and I guess Brian Johnson and and um Malcolm and and the others um really felt Bond's presence in the studio when they did, uh, was it Back in Black, right? The, the, the 1980 release after Bond's got it passed.
1: Right. Well, Brian, um, he won't elaborate, but Brian said that he had an encounter with Bond while they were in um, Compass Point Studios in um, in the Bahama, Bahamas. And he, uh, he got a visitation from Bond. And uh, I've, you know... Over the years, it's it, it, like one one dream I had about um, uh, well, Bon came to me that night that you know the lamp was left on, and two months later I was hired to write the Let There Be Rock book, so I I kind of feel like Bon you know showed up to tell me that something was was coming up, but um yeah Bon uh I think on the Razor's Edge um recording also. I heard a story that uh, they were recording Razor's Edge, nineteen ninety, and they came into the studio one day, and there was a song that they had been working on that had background vocals that sounded just like Bond, even though they didn't record the background vocals. Oh yet. wow,
0: that is wild. That's wild. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He he's a big guy. I mean, he he gets around.
0: <laughs> what is <laughs> <a> Brian
1: does? <laughs>
0: Was Brian Johnson spooked by that? Why doesn't he want to elaborate?
1: Um, Yeah, I'd like to know that, too. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I know that he was, um, you know, terrified after he got the job because, you know, here he's in northern England, not doing very well financially, and Bon Scott dies, and uh, a few months later, he's in the band. And uh, he, he definitely, they said that they, you know, of course, could feel bombed during the recording of Back in Black, but he won't give any details about what what happened. But it, but it did, it must have been pretty, um, you know, shocking for Brian. Otherwise, I don't think he'd even bring it up and, and say anything about it.
0: So. Um, I know that you write a lot about synchronicity in the uh, in the book. It's a favorite Mm -hmm. subject of mine. I mean, it's something universal. We've all uh, experienced remarkable synchronicities. Many of us just kind of dismiss it or we don't pay enough attention. But the more you pay attention, the more they seem to happen. Talk to me about, I don't know, maybe give me an example of a powerful synchronicity that's happened to you. And then how, how synchronicities sort of guide your life.
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, one of the most incredible experiences I've had, but everything for me seems to be, you know, all connected. Like, you know, something will come up and then I, you'll actually see it play out, you know, in the future. But um, with Synchronicity, one of the craziest stories I have of that is that um, I wrote my first book. I put it out on, on a CD-ROM at the time because printing your own books for it was too expensive. It was back in... 2000, when I released that. And uh, I, (laughs) I sent it to a publisher here in Wisconsin, a small publisher, and uh, I got a rejection letter, because that's not the kind of books that they, they printed at the time. But then they asked me to write famous Wisconsin musicians, which I had Les Paul write the foreword for me. And that just, you know, I, I found a website that liked Les Paul, I called and with the hours, I had his manager's number. So so the publisher that wrote that did that book saw the reviews of the CD ROM of Rock and Roll Fantasy, and they said, Well, we're gonna print that too. We'd like to print it too. And I agreed to that. Um, but uh when in the summers there's always the book expo, where, you yeah. know, where all the publishers and Authors show up and everything. So I was invited to do a book signing for famous Wisconsin musicians in um, Chicago at the time in 2004. And at the last minute, I called my publicist at the company and I said, can I book signing on rock and roll fantasy instead? I, I just think that might be more fun. And uh, and she agreed. She said, well, we printed both. So why not? We'll switch it. So that put me into the directory, of which is, you know, like, a phone book um uh, my book signing for rock and roll fantasy well before my book signing happened that day you know what it's well i don't know if you can relate to this but for me it was like being a kid in the can- in a candy store with all these publishers and i wanted to actually get a larger publisher to publish the rock and roll fantasy book because you know this was done with a very small publisher so i was walking around you know thirty thousand people there um President Clinton was the keynote speaker at that event and uh so it was it was pretty heady and uh so I was roaming around because I can't sit still <laughs> with with all that stuff and all those people to meet and uh so I'm wandering around and I come around the corner and there's a two booth size you know uh display of uh every rock and roll book you can think of every every artist and i started goofing around I'm, I'm i was saying to my husband at the time i was like oh my god these are my my publishers this is it i'm you know i'm home you know and uh well, this girl comes up to me and she's like i'm sorry you are <laughs> you know kind of like what are you doing Ouch. and uh yeah. yeah 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 so so i i figured you know okay i'll leave and so i told her who i was and and uh why i why, you know was interested in their company which was Music Sales Group. Um, Omnibus Press is what I wrote for that imprint. But um, uh, she actually said to me, "Well, no, no. We are our, our one of our editors is here today. You should probably talk to her." And without an agent and all that, that's just that's pretty unheard of for a writer, especially one that just <laughs> just had only two books out and uh, not on big publishers or anything like that. And I waited a bit and I met the the lady, the, the editor, Andrea, and I started giving her this huge pitch on, you know, my book, Rock and Roll Fantasy. And she goes, oh, I, uh, you know, she said, what's your name again? And then, you know, I told her my name and then she says, oh, I was going to come find you. Wow. And I looked at her, I laughed, I laughed at her. I literally laughed at her. And I said, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you're, you're going to come find me. And she goes, No, I'm serious. And she grabbed her day planner, turned it around and handed it to me. And there was my name and my booth number and what time I was doing a book signing. And I I didn't find out until at at the end of the day that they were looking for someone to write a biography of ACDC for them. And they were interested in me.
0: (laughs) That's remarkable. Now. Some would say that's synchronicity. Others would just say, Susan, that's the payoff of a lot of hard work. What's the difference? I think it's both.
1: Yeah, I think it's both. But the, the synchronicity, um, just how everything fell into place, because, you know, I tell people this, I've given speeches on on this. Um, I sent that uh, book to a company that didn't really fit my book, but it, what did I have to lose? A copy of the book and postage. And that, you know, got me to the famous Wisconsin musicians book, which you know, so it's it's everything is connected and synchronicity is if you learn to kind of pay attention to those things, it it's to me it's kind of a guide on on what to do or what your next move's going to be
0: right. I th- I'm trying to remember the who um wrote this quote, I think it was Voltaire. He said, luck is the residue of design. And I think that's sort of the same thing with synchronicity, right? I mean, and if it happens mm-hmm. to everybody, but if you're not paying attention and if you, you know, it's like opportunity knocks, but if you don't answer, what's yeah, the point?
1: Exactly. And and I, I love synchronicity is also one of my favorite subjects too, because my my life is like a string of those of you know doing one thing and then it totally opened a door to another and uh i think people you know should pay more attention to that kind of thing cuz i i think it's a good guide
0: no question susan we'll take a quick time out come back and uh continue to talk about the secrets of the universe rock journalist author susan massino is here stay with us <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position, and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. And we are back. Susan Massino is here, rock journalist for over 30 years. The author of Rock and Roll Fantasy, Family Tradition, Three Generations of Hank Williams, Let There Be Rock, The Story of ACDC, Famous Wisconsin Musicians, and The Secrets of the Universe. Um, let's see, where else do we want to go? We I, I want to talk to you about um, Past Lives. Um, because this one, if I'm recalling, you have... Uh, a son that had a great interest in uh, a shipwreck or something like that. Am I, re- am I remembering that correctly? Oh, yeah.
1: Yes, you are. Um, he was uh, four years old at the time, and someone uh, was babysitting for the evening, and HBO was showing the, the movie Titanic. And he, we found out after we got home that he had gotten woken up and she let him come out and watch the rest of the movie with her. Well, you know, I wasn't real happy about my four-year-old, you know, watching a ship go down and losing 1,500 people. And from from that moment, the very next day, and my son loves to draw. He's an, a CG um, artist now, a matte painter, and, you know, he's in the film industry. And he always loved to draw. And after he saw that movie, or the end of the movie, if you will... Um, he started painting and drawing pictures of the Titanic, like within two weeks, we probably had at least a couple dozen, you know, um uh, pencil drawings, watercolor whatever. And he was never looking at an image to copy. It was what he, it was coming out of his own imagination and he was going, he went through night terrors. And he used to talk about the Titanic like every day between the ages of four and six, it lasted. And, uh, he, you know, would have night terrors. He'd wake up and go running out of his room and trying to, trying to get out is what it looked, what it would look like, you know, running to, to the doors to try to open them and things like that. And, uh, so he, um, we went through two years of that and he had um, information on the Titanic that wasn't even revealed to people until they started doing, you know, more documentaries on it.
0: Like what? Give me an so example. The,
1: um, One day he came home with uh, another drawing of the Titanic, of course, and it's got four smokestacks and smoke coming out of the first three, but not the last one. And I looked at the picture and I asked him, I said, well, did did you not finish the picture? Did you not have time to put the smoke in? And he, he was he was sarcastic, and he's like, "That's a dummy stack, Mama. That's a dummy stack. They didn't use it." I said, "What? What do you? What, what's a, what's a dummy stack?" And and he's like four or five years old. He said, "They they did it for show because it, it looked bigger, but they didn't use it. It wasn't it wasn't used it used it all. Wow. So that's why there's no smoke coming out." and then years later we found out that was true that the last stack was a dummy stack and it was not used for anything it was just to make the the ship look more grand i i, I believe so we okay. went through that and we actually um my family we were featured on the tv show ghost inside my child which um you can look up his story online on youtube it's all over youtube tiktok just look for the the kid with the titanic memories <laughs>
0: So That's so crazy. kind of walk me through this. Um so these memories, dreams were coming from mm-hmm. a past life. Your son was mm-hmm. part of the crew, mm-hmm. do you think, on the Titanic?
1: I think so. I think um some people believe that uh he might have been Thomas Andrews who designed the ship. Um but he could have just been somebody that worked on the ship, but he was very obsessed with the corners that were cut, Um, that it shouldn't have happened that, you know, there wasn't enough lifeboats, they never should have been able to sail without, you know, proper number of lifeboats. So as a really little kid, he talked all about the design of the ship and and how they, you know, rushed things that it, you know they shouldn't have uh, left when they when they took off. All of that. He just he he knew so much about the ship that it was it was definitely creepy.
0: <laughs> and and he didn't sign out books from the library or anything like that. He he didn't know this information secondhand.
1: No, no, and this this was between the ages of four and six years old, so. He wasn't uh it it was all coming from his memories you know and i've had people comment on his videos saying that you know we fed him that information i didn't i didn't know that information how would i feed it to him you know so he it was coming from obviously a past life of him being on the ship
0: didn't you take him to really sad yeah uh, didn't you take him to like a Titanic yeah. exhibit or something? And he mm-hmm. said some pretty wild things.
1: Yep. Yeah, we did. We uh, this was two years into it. And my daughter, who is a forensic psychologist, they were um, taking the Titan- Titanic exhibit across the country. And for a, while, a few weeks, it was in Chicago at the Museum of Science and Industry. And my daughter suggested that we take him to see it to see if maybe this would be a closure for him some way, you know, s- somehow in some way. So we take him there, and now he's six years old. We've been going through this for two years. And he was, you know, all the other kids there were kids running around, you know, not paying attention to anything. My son, it took us like hours to go through this exhibit because he literally had to look at every single thing, every single item. And uh, and what was uh, what, what was crazy about what happened to me is that he was obsessed with the boiler rooms on the ship that the men, you know, to 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 his knowledge, he said that they shouldn't have died, that some got trapped and they, they so he was very obsessed with the boiler room. And sure enough, we come across this exhibit with a boiler that they had literally brought up on the ocean floor. And it had mirrors mirrors on either side and a you know curtain and a spotlight and all that. And of course, he's six, so he's not at the same vantage point as I'm at. So I see the boiler and I'm thinking, oh, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't seem to be disturbed by it. Um, he was just interested in seeing it. But as we were getting closer, because, you know, you're with a big group of people, I looked over to my left and to me... I saw a life-size oil painting of a man shoveling coal into the boiler. And you know, the high neck collar and the suspenders and you know, he had kind of a cap like like Brian Johnson wears, one of those caps. Right, right. And uh and I I, I thought to myself, you know, uh, wow, they really went out of their way. I mean, to pay tribute to, you know, the guys in the boiler room. And as we got close enough to look up at this painting that I thought was a painting, the man in the painting turned and looked at me and my daughter was standing right next to me. He turned and looked at us like we, we scared him. Like, who who are you? Wow. And as soon as he looked at me, I shut my eyes because I'm like, "Eh, you know, no, no. no." And and I opened my eyes and I'm looking at myself in a mirror. There's no painting. There's no man
0: but your daughter, your daughter saw your daughter saw too
1: my daughter saw him too she saw him. what she what her mind uh made sense of i guess in a way mine was an oil painting what she saw was a man in period clothing standing in a place that there wasn't anywhere to stand so it was kind of confusing of how how he was where where he was so she actually saw the same guy i saw and maybe that was my son you know maybe he worked in the boiler room You know, you you don't know.
0: (laughs) So what happened after two years? Did he just forget all about this obsession?
1: Well, actually, after um, we saw the exhibit in Chicago, he came home. And within a week or so, he had one of the worst night terrors that he's ever had. And uh, I, I call it the death dream because I was home alone with him. I had he was in bed sleeping. And suddenly I heard this pounding on the bedroom wall, like rhythmic pounding. And I jumped up and I rent, went down, opened the bedroom door, and my son is up on all fours. He's shaking so violently that the, the bed is hitting the wall. And he's staring at the floor and, and just like convulsing almost. And before I could even do anything, this man's voice, it wasn't his voice, this man's voice screams, she's going down. And I was like, "I it, it, I, it made me cry. I burst into tears. And by the, I, you know, the doctor advised us not to shake him out of these dreams to kind of, you know, get him to wake up or, you know, just gently um, deal with it that way. So I finally sat down next to him and I started to, you know, rub his back and get him calmed down. And then I got him back to sleep and, and everything was fine. Well, the next day I told him about it and I said, you know, you scared me so bad that I almost called 911. I said, do you, you know, do you remember what you dreamed about? And he's again, sarcastically looks at me and says, mama, the water was freezing. You know that, right? Why he was shaking so hard? He was freezing yeah but then it after that dream, it, he would go a few days without talking about it and then a week and then a couple of weeks went by and he just stopped talking about it and it was just over. The night terrors ended and we we got through it.
0: And what but about now? What and now a he's long, an now he's an established I know he's got an established career in the film industry. Uh, what about now? Does he have any recollection of that?
1: He doesn't really, um, even when they interviewed him on the show, he was 19 years old. Um, And he said that uh, um, he didn't have a lot of particular memories from being that age, but he he did acknowledge his obvious connection to the Titanic. And if he had been Thomas Andrews, which if you look up a picture of him, he does look like my son and, and <laughs> a little too much. Yeah. And uh, he he went down He went down with the ship. You know, they offered him a seat on the lifeboat and he let others get off. He left a wife and a, and a daughter and he went down with the ship. And so when they interviewed him at 19 years old, he said that he doesn't feel responsible anymore and uh, that he uh, if he had to do it over again, he'd still do the same thing. He would um you know give up his life for other people and he just is glad that you know he um he you know went through it but i don't think he has a lot of the particular memories of when he between the, the ages of four and six
0: had he not he just seen knows he, he, he's sorry go ahead
1: it, go ahead oh no you you go that's okay
0: okay so had he not inadvertently watched the titanic that night with the babysitter do you think any of those memories of his past life would have been have have come to the surface
1: well it might have but i don't know i don't think maybe not if he hadn't seen the movie but before this when he was three he had a fascination with trains a lot of little boys do and uh, he used to start telling me about, you know, I designed the first railroad cars. And I said, you did? And he goes, yeah, yeah. You know, there are no, no cars then, Mom. They're there only horses. And we built train cars. And I helped build train cars in Wyoming. And he talked about that. He said his name was James in that lifetime, too, and that he, he was married and he had several Children. He lived in a big house and uh, I knew nothing about, you know, where the train cars were first built. Well, I came across the book one day of American history. And sure enough, the original first train cars were built in Wyoming. And yeah, so, (laughs) so he he had a lot of, uh, you know, memories and, and things to say that would, you know, how would a kid that age know?
0: What about your daughter, past lives, memories?
1: Um, Not really, not with her. You know, she has not uh, really talked about that. I know that she has um, psychic abilities. I mean, she works with uh, the judicial system in, in California. And uh, I know that she's psychic in her own way of, you know, and, and my sister too, my younger sister is like that. She, uh, you know, sees things before they happen or have the, has an impression of something that ends up becoming true. So we, it definitely runs in the family because I'm a psychic empath myself. What does and, that mean? Uh, what I, does that I have, mean,
0: a psychic empath? How does that work?
1: Um, usually for me, uh, I am not always good, is that I pick up other people's energy really easily. So if I'm around someone who is very negative or, you know, angry, that, that upset me. And I, you know, had to learn how to protect myself from that. But, um, I get all kinds of, you know, like I said before, the prophetic dreams. Um, I just know things and it's weird because the, the information that you get from someone or something just comes to you with, you know, without any, you know, forethought or any warning, I, I tend to pick up things. Um, like I, I investigated, um, the battlefields of Gettysburg and, uh, I was on a road along a tree line at the end of the day and the sun was going down and now this is all in my mind's eye and what sometimes I can hear them actually talk to me. And sometimes I just get the information and as I was going down this road And it was horrible being out on that battlefield. It is so sad and the energy is so heavy. And as I was walking down that road, this kid in my mind's eye came rushing up to me and begging me to help him go home. And he was frantic. And I had to stop and I was with a friend. I had to explain, there's somebody here. I need to communicate with whoever's trying to talk to me. And so... He sounded very young, and he called me Mama, which I thought was was uh, crazy because I've always had a premonition or uh idea that I lost a son in the Civil War. I used to have that because a lot, a lot of my psychic abilities started really coming out more in my early 20s is when that started. And so this kid who came up to me, he was begging me to, to, to go home. He was terrified. He wanted to go home. And... I told him to calm down. I said, the war is over. You don't have to stay here. I'm going to bring in some light, which I will, you know, I visualize bringing in some light. And I told him, I said, go into the light because your family and friends will be waiting for you. And, uh, and I, by this time I'm crying because he's, he's so terrified. You can just feel and hear the terror in his voice. And, uh, my friend reached over when I started to cry. My fr- friend reached over and tried to touch my back and he literally jumped backwards and yelled and I said what what was that and he said it felt like I just stuck my hand in the barbed wire or trying to touch you wow and I I and I think the the, the kid that I was talking to was protect he, he ended up not being a very good guy to be with and I think that that was the kid's way of saying you know I'm protecting her right now I'm you know I'm talking to her And uh, it was it was very powerful. And uh, I do believe that I might have moved at least one person (laughs) that still uh, lingers at Gettysburg.
0: Susan, another time out back with more of our conversation. The book is The Secrets of the Universe, Universal Laws, Past Lives, Ghost Adventures and more. Stay with us. Define reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We are back with rock journalist, writer, Susan Massino. The secrets of the universe, universal laws, past lives, ghost adventures, and more. Talk to me about some of your other investigations. You mentioned Gettysburg, another outstanding paranormal investigation that comes to mind.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I was invited to go do an investigation of Bobby Mackey's um, Music World in Wilder, Kentucky. Um, pretty much every ghost show uh, has done a show there because it is so haunted. it is it's it, it, To me, I, I will never go back there. Um, really? It has a lot of layers to it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I tell people all the time because they still do ghost tours on the weekends and even um was it jack uh, uh, jack osborne had uh the show portals to hell and he and his partner katrina went to bobby mackey's and they not only are all the people that have worked there in the past or work there now have all had bad experiences and uh so what happened with me is we went there the night before the investigation i didn't think anything of it i was there to meet and greet you know a whole team came out from the east coast and we were going to be live on the internet and and all of that but we had the meet and greet the night before I get to the club now I'm not thinking about protecting myself you know keeping my light my aura strong that sort of thing that I'm learning to do uh, do better but I didn't realize that at the time and as my two friends and their cousin so there was the four of us when we walked into the club and we came around this corner where there was pillar was, um, the the room kind of spun for a second. And I looked at all three people that were with me. And my, the woman standing next to me, Tamara, she looked at me and she said, did you just feel that? And as she said that something walked through me. And it's really hard to explain that, but it definitely something walked through me and I I turned around I actually turned around and and said oh uh you know just uh, that, that I, didn't, I didn't like that but I I didn't think anything of it I didn't take it seriously I found out later that the spot we were standing in was where a man died in that club right in the same spot that we all got the the dizzy feeling right and then uh go
0: Well, I'm just going to ask, like, for those not familiar with Bobby Mackey's Music World, is it? Just give me a bit of the history. What is this place?
1: Um, It's a, it's a, um, let's see, it's a bar in Wilder, Kentucky, right outside Cincinnati, but it has many layers of hauntings. Um, It goes back to, uh, in the 1800s, there was a woman who uh, was, she got pregnant by a man that they tried to perform an abortion and she died and they cut her head off and threw it down the well. Well, this well is in Bobby Mackey's basement. So they had, you have the, you know, the native American layer, then you have uh, for in the fifties or no, I'm sorry. During the civil war, it was the underground railroad that they served, uh, to get people, you know, to, uh, North to, to freedom. And then you, in the fifties, it was kind of like a mobster joint. <laughs> so who knows was who, who, how many people were killed in the basement? I have no idea. Um, and it was also like a, a slaughterhouse for a while where there was a man that liked to scare people. And that's what I picked up when I was there is that, uh, this butcher that, used to like to scare people with, you know, parts of animals and things. I think he's one of the entities that um, messes with people when they come. And uh, so when we we went there, um, it turned out to be way worse than I thought it was going to be. It's a It's a big club, and people, what they do and I don't agree with is that when they go on these investigations, they provoke and they try to get a reaction. And uh, while I was in a different part of this bar, um, a grown man was ended up being pinned up against the wall in the basement from something he couldn't see so this is a very popular place if you do want to investigate I think they have investigations every weekend and uh, Bobby Mackey is uh you know owns the place and and he claims he doesn't believe in any of it but yet he has you know host Ghost investigations every week
0: Right, but I mean, you've you, you've gone on. I don't know how many investigations, but this place in particular has. I don't know if traumatized you is the right word, um, but for you to say I'm never going back there, what what happened aside from somebody, some entity maybe walking through you? Was there something else?
1: Through. Oh yes, yes. the The next night was the investigation. It was in February, and they had to turn off the heat. it was cold because of the noise of while they're recording. And, uh, um, you know, we went to different parts of the club and we had about maybe six groups of five people each and everybody would rotate because it's a big club and then there's the basement and all of that. And uh, I, you know, after a while, you know, it gets tiring, you know, you're there for many hours and, and just kind of sitting in the dark and, I picked up on um, when we were in one part of the bar. Uh, one of the women that uh, used to be on Ghost uh, Hunter or, yeah, Ghost Hunters International or Ghost in uh, Adventure, um, one of those TV shows. She asked us, uh, myself and my two girlfriends, who are both psychic mediums, um, what we were picking up. And I literally could hear like wise guys <laughs> uh, swearing at us and telling us to get out and that they were sick of it and to get, get out. And so that was my impression, but we leave about two in the morning, you know, wrap it all up because I said, we were on the, um, the internet live and all that. So, so we packed it up. We went to a restaurant, we all ate the same food. We went back to our room and something told me to pack everything and leave an outfit the next day because we were heading back. We we're actually trying to beat a, a snowstorm. We were seven hours from uh Wisconsin, being down in, in Kentucky. And uh something told me to do that. Pack all your stuff and set aside an outfit. Okay, I did that. I went to sleep. I woke up about 5:30 in the morning. And you know how when you when you come when the flu gets you and you wake up and you just know like something's not right? Well I woke up, and all of a sudden, I'm in the bathroom, very sick, extremely sick. I don't want to be gross about it, but you can imagine. <laughs> Let's just leave it that way. That I was so sick that um being sick and, and vomiting, that lasted for hours. My My friends literally had to, like, again, I had an outfit picked out. My suitcase was packed their cousin had to carry me to the car to get me back up to wisconsin and once i got home that uh purging uh, was all all of um sunday night monday tuesday by wednesday i couldn't even get out of bed i didn't realize i was extremely dehydrated and my husband took me to the er um, they got me on two different IVs immediately because I was just, you know, I, I had to have been very dehydrated, but uh, they did all kinds of tests and they could not find anything physically wrong with me. And then uh, going back to Jack Osborne and his partner, they went down to Bobby Mackey's. They did that investigation and the, you know, the uh, automatic writer said, I can make you sick. That was one of the messages that came through. Wow. So, yeah, at the end of the show Portals to Hell on the Bobby Mackey um, edition, it uh, came up with a disclaimer at the end of the show saying that within 48 hours, Jack had gone back to L.A. I believe Katrina went back to Philadelphia. And within 48 hours, they were both admitted to the ER. Wow. But they... Didn't give any details, but I kind of know what they were going through. It was—it's a psychic poisoning, is what it is.
0: Ah, how do you protect yourself now from that?
1: Well, um, I believe you know our aura, our light—that—that that, um, powers our body. It's connected to the source, and I believe that if you go into a place like that, you need to keep your white light around you. You know, keep your aura strong. And, uh, and and envision that, always envision that. I do that even when I drive my car. I envision white light around me because it's protective. And uh, I, But, but I, I tell people all the time, and I'm sure Bobby Mackey t- doesn't appreciate it, but I tell people not to go. It, it's, it's a dangerous place because the entities there want to hurt you and actually possessed a man that worked there and lived in the upstairs apartment. He became possessed by something
0: really so what was that business of like pack your clothes and and and, like leave out one outfit or something what was that all about
1: well I I have um good intuition and I call it the voice (laughs) every once in a while I can actually hear somebody say that to me they were warning me because um I needed to you know I I could barely dress myself the next Ah, day so to have everything packed packed up you know. Yeah, this voice just said to me, pack your suitcase and set out an outfit. And I just thought, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that'll make tomorrow easier. And I was so sick when they took me out of that hotel that I couldn't even walk to the car.
0: So, So, Susan, uh, I mean, are you are you walking away from paranormal investigations or are you just a little more choosy as to what you investigate?
1: Oh, yeah. Very choosy. I just spent um, seven years living in Savannah and uh, one of the most haunted cities in the United States. And uh, I haven't done any um, official investigations for a while, but I'm still fascinated with all of it. And even um, where I lived in Savannah was on this uh, road with a big field across from it. And both my sister that also has psychic abilities and my girlfriend who's a psychic medium they saw a guy one night they were out on my porch I was on the third floor they were on the porch and they saw a man come walking down the road in front of my building and what my girlfriend first thought was a a pool stick like a pool cue that he was carrying well as he got closer she could see it was a rifle and she she literally grabbed my sister threw her up against the wall and said get down he's got a gun and i believe what they saw was a confederate soldier walking by my building because he vanished after he turned the corner then he was gone so there's uh you know so i am i i had to protect myself a lot in savannah but i still you know would go to places and during the day not not at night (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, I I love the the paranormal and I you know but certain places I I'm definitely choosy because of what happened. I I've never been that sick in my entire life so it was uh something I don't recommend to others.
0: So uh are you going to get back into uh rock journalism anytime?
1: Well, I I, have, I just I do lots of interviews for rock and for um, the paranormal. Um, I'm working on a, a collection of my life stories right now because I got a million of them and they're all, you know, like synchronicity and, you know, just a lot of wild stories. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just did a, um, an article for Classic Rock magazine on the 50th anniversary of ACDC, Um, They interviewed me and then they also um, asked me to write an article for them. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm probably going to be writing a news, kind of a news piece for the uh, page on Facebook that's called the ACDC family. They have over 400,000 members. And I was just asked a few days ago, actually, if I would like to write a, a monthly news piece on maybe an album or you know, what's going on now or something like that. So I'm I'm always <laughs> there's always something coming up. Last uh 2021, I was in um the on the Reels channel. I was featured in ACDC breaking the band. And then just months later, I was interviewed again uh and appeared on the Reels channel in the frontman series for David Lee Roth. So even though it's been decades. I still people still want to hear the stories so I'm I'm always doing something
0: well it was uh it's great catching up with you again uh Susan thank you so much for this
1: oh thank you for having me
0: a new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday Wednesday and Friday